0: Welcome to the podcast. I'm Shira Schoenberg. It's dangerous and illegal to drive while impaired by marijuana. But since recreational marijuana was legalized in Massachusetts, there's been an ongoing debate about how to best measure impairment in drivers. A bill proposed by Governor Charlie Baker updating the state law on driving under the influence was recently sent to study or killed by the state legislature. Here with me today to discuss these issues are Dr. Stacey Gruber and attorney John Amabile. Attorney Amabile is the president of the Massachusetts Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers. Dr. Gruber has studied the impact of recreational and medical cannabis use for many years and is the director of the Marijuana Investigations for Neuroscientific Discovery Program at McLean Hospital. She's also an associate professor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. Thank you both for joining me. Um, so let's get the basics out of the way first. Dr. Gruber, how does marijuana affect your brain and why is driving one
1: high on marijuana such a bad idea? So first thanks so much for having me and it's a great question and it's a complicated question. Um, Marijuana or cannabis isn't one thing and people often use Cannabis for different reasons. When we tend to think of those who are using cannabis and driving, though, we tend to think of those who are using for recreational purposes. People who are intentionally looking to change their current state of being or to get high or feel altered. And in this case, after you use cannabis, and there's different routes of administration, whether you inhale via smoking or vaping versus um, an edible, a cookie, or you know, uh, a beverage, etc. Lots of different ways you can use it. Um, The effects of cannabis are experienced over a variable time course. And driving is a complex set of cognitive tasks that are so automated in most of us, we can't remember the individual steps that you take, for example, to go from point A to point B. Most people don't remember, when did I step on the gas? When did I do this? Because it's so automated. So what happens is when you are altered or acutely intoxicated, for example, using cannabis and acutely intoxicated, your sense of time may be altered your sense of speed may be altered your ability to complete simple seemingly simple uh cognitive tasks all of which go together to make you quote able to drive are somehow impaired Uh, not in everybody and not at the same degree depending on what it is that you're using that's an important aspect here um, because not all people using cannabis will be quote impaired so what happens to the brain while you're using cannabis there's a series of events when you're acutely intoxicated that unfortunately render many people altered in such a way that driving performance may in fact suffer. That's why it's so dangerous and such a concern for so many. You don't want to do anything while you're under the influence of something that's altering your ability to perform tasks.
0: And attorney Immobile, I know that there are certainly problems with the current law, but what is the current law about impaired driving? Because I believe that today, even under the current state of the law, driving while impaired by marijuana is illegal.
2: That that is correct, and it has been illegal for since before these ballot initiatives legalized it. And the thing about the new this legislation that was proposed that I I guess has now been thankfully killed because it was a horrible piece of legislation. It was promoted by the same group of politicians that uh, vehemently opposed all three of the ballot initiatives. And it was the excuse that they put forward for why cannabis shouldn't be legalized. It was one of their principal uh, arguments that there'll be uh, impaired driving. Well, guess what? The thing that you you forget is that people smoked cannabis before it was uh, legalized. And there actually is no evidence that more people smoke it now than before. And people were subject to prosecution for driving under the influence of drugs before uh, cannabis was legalized. Now, what is the definition of driving under the influence? It's that a drug or alcohol, it's the same standard, affects your ability to operate a motor vehicle safely. So just like with alcohol, the law does not prescribe driving after consuming uh, some of the product. prescribes operation on a public way where the substance affects your ability to operate the motor vehicle safely. Now, how how has that traditionally been proven? Uh, And it has to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. Before
0: we get to that, let's just explain what the legislation is that you were talking about. Governor Baker has been pushing for this bill that among other things would impose a license suspension on somebody who refuses to take a blood saliva or field sobriety test for drugs, which is the same penalty imposed on a driver who refuses to take a breathalyzer. So just clarifying, that's the legislation that you think is a bad idea?
2: A horrible idea. Let's just start off with that. You just heard Dr. Gruber tell you that this is a very complicated issue that has not, uh, the science is not developed to make any of that evidence relevant. So that, uh, and when you talk about uh, forcing somebody to submit to a blood test, that's a very invasive process. And that does not take place uh, with people driving under the influence of alcohol. There is no corollary to the breathalyzer that can be used to show not just whether somebody had consumed some of the product, but whether they were impaired by it. The evidence without uh, or with the alcohol is well-developed in terms of how alcohol is ingested into your system, how long it remains, and how it... Uh, then leaves your system, it's water soluble, it can be very accurately measured. And there's uh, uh, very strong scientific evidence of what certain blood alcohol levels mean in terms of your level of impairment. There is absolutely nothing like that as a corollary in the cannabis uh, realm.
0: So, Dr. Gruber, let's dig into that. The tagline of the legalization campaign was, let's regulate marijuana like alcohol. But as Attorney Immobile seems to be saying, you can't really regulate marijuana like alcohol because it affects people differently. So explain that difference. And in what ways does marijuana, does somebody react to marijuana differently
1: than they might react to alcohol? Sure. It's an incredibly important distinction. And I think that people are desperate to have anything that allows them to consider things in the same way as something that we have precedent for um and as you just heard you know we have a relatively clear metric you know 0.08 is uh, for for a breathalyzer for alcohol is relatively clearly established for individuals for most individuals not everybody where you have a related uh series of impairments that tend to go along with that level okay so you blow a certain level you're impaired most people for really, really chronic folks who use, they're not impaired even way above that. But for the, for the sort of majority of people, that's what you see. Cannabis is not alcohol. Cannabis is complicated. And in terms of the ways in which people use and the long, a very, very long half-life of cannabis means that we are going to detect the presence of its metabolites. For example, Delta-9-THC is the primary intoxicating constituent from the plant. That's what most of our recreational folks are looking for. You can detect Delta-9 in someone up to a month beyond the point of their last use. Now, that metric is highly dependent on what else is in their system, how often they use cannabis and how they used cannabis. So presence or absence, these so-called per se levels are even more problematic from my perspective because individuals who are using small amounts of product, especially the non-intoxicating Products that may have trace amounts of intoxicating constituents that are detected mean you're positive, but not near any impairment. That's a huge distinguishing fact. The difference between using something and being intoxicated or impaired, these are very different uh, uh, terms. So driving under the influence, as you you eloquently put it, um, really has to do with being able to um, drive or operate a motor vehicle safely, right? If you are impaired, you can't do that. Does that mean you can't use a substance? Absolutely not, absolutely not. So what we're looking for here is impairment. There is no empirically sound metric at this point that, that ties the level of impairment to cannabis use. And that's because things are so wholly dependent on use patterns, product type, and individual experience, as well as genetic factors. And when you ask people, even if you were to grab a blood sample, I I completely agree with you, John, absolutely. And at the roadside, by the way, by the time you bring people in to grab a blood sample, um, you've already, you've already shifted everything because cannabis, marijuana, when you inhale or smoke it, you have this very, very large spike. You inhale and it goes into the lungs, into the bloodstream. You may have a very giant, a very large spike in blood that immediately, uh, resolves as it moves to the brain. So it, it's a more challenging thing to, to measure than people think in terms of acute intoxication and how that relates to impairment. Um, so when we look at the ways in which people are trying to assess this at the roadside, it's a complicated issue that is uh, highly contentious, I think. Um, and there's a lot to work out.
0: John, hey. what are you seeing today by the roadside? How are the police trying to measure impairment? And is there a way to do it that will stand up in court?
2: Well, all right. There is no way to quote unquote measure impairment, and one of the uh, the uh, most horrendous aspects of Baker's proposal was that he the law substituted fact by allowing a judge to take judicial notice that somebody was impaired by virtue of their uh, having been determined to have uh, cannabis in their system. And that is a classic use of non-scientific junk science to potentially uh, cause a person to be convicted of a serious crime. Now, as far as what's going on at the roadside, first of all, the most uh, likely person who is impaired by drugs on the roadside, who is the police uh, are drawn, their attention is drawn to them, is a person that's nodding out from opioid uh, overuse. And they pull the person over now, like, uh, uh, unlike alcohol, there's no odor of alcohol with opioids, but there are signs that a logical and trained police officer could see, like uh, the eyes and the slurred speech, all things that actually are very uh, uh, comparable to how they make arrests in alcohol cases. Uh, the unsteadiness on the feet, these things. Now, the other thing is that the law, and I think this is totally wrong, but it is the law, basically eliminates Miranda protection from people that get pulled over uh, and are suspected of impaired driving. So the police are allowed to question without giving you Miranda warnings, even though they're likely not going to let you go. And uh, your answers are usable. So just like in an alcohol case, well, have you used any drugs? And the person says, well, yeah, I just uh, 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 took some OxyContin. Now, if you couple that with the observations the police officer made, Uh, they can potentially make out a case of drug driving. And uh, in in the same way, with marijuana impairment, if it actually did impair somebody's driving, there are signs, there are uh, observations that can be made that would potentially allow you to draw that conclusion. Now, the one difference is that with alcohol, uh, the law allows a lay person to make the uh, uh, make render an opinion about somebody's sobriety because lay people have so much experience interacting with people that they know to be on uh, consuming alcohol that they allow lay opinions which is not true, and it shouldn't be true, in uh, so-called drug driving. But the issue I want to say to you, though, is the, the problem is that this whole uh, sort of uh, uh, hysteria around impaired, drug-impaired driving is really a, uh, a solution in search of a problem there is no actual evidence that there's some epidemic of drug impaired driving out there. That is an absolute falsehood. And the notion that that would be linked to the legalization of cannabis is, a, is, it is totally unproven. So the people that got whipped at the ballot box on uh legalization. And this was not a small uh, victory by the uh, drug reform people. It was an overwhelming landslide all three times. First the decrim, then the medical marijuana, then the recreational. The same people who were repudiated massively in those campaigns are now on and who use this argument about impaired driving, uh, as one of their cornerstone arguments, are now trying to promote this so-called reform, which is actually uh, nothing more than allowing people to be found guilty without evidence.
0: So let's bring this back a little bit to the science. Um, You mentioned these roadside tests. Um, There are these drug recognition experts, which are trained police officers that are trained to detect impairment. Um, We've been hearing there is talk about technology, people are trying to develop something like a breathalyzer. MGH recently had this fascinating research on some kind of portable battery powered device that could be used to scan someone's brain for impairment. Dr. Gruber, can you talk a little bit just about what is the landscape in terms of what is out there to potentially be able to detect marijuana impairment either today or in the future?
1: Sure. Uh, well, today there's there's really very little. As you just heard, we basically rely on DREs. And as you just mentioned, uh, drug recognition experts who um, undergo some training. There is no real data that basically show us or um, what I would call empirically sound data that show us, hey, these folks are unbelievably skilled at determining which folks should be pulled off the road. Um, in fact, in the MGH study that you just cited, um, there was basically a 35% false positive rate of DREs who assessed individuals who were given THC, not cannabis, not cannabis. Cannabis is a a plant and it contains lots of constituents. Pure THC, non-plant-derived THC. So we know it's going to alter them. That was the goal, okay? that's what the investigators were looking to do. They gave them pure THC. And in fact, they were looking for altered behavior. And and look, there are people who drive when they shouldn't. We know that. There are people who use um, irresponsibly and get behind the wheel, whether it's alcohol or cannabis or opioids, you name it. Um, but the point is, you know, when, when you're thinking about legislation and, and the law, you want to be mindful of what you can and can't be sure of. And I think, um, you know, to, to the to the earlier point in terms of what's available right now that tells us, hey, how do we effectively and in a valid way assess roadside impairment? How do we tie that to something related to a cannabis use metric? The answer is not well, Uh, (laughs) drug recognition experts are, they undergo some training and, you know, they're, I think in the MGH study, they had something, it was a 60 something percent accuracy rate, but 35% false positive rate is not good. That means more than a third of your folks are going to be incorrectly classified or characterized as those who are impaired. That's a problem. That's a problem. Um, in terms of having things that are sort of you know in the future, uh, roadside devices that are designed to look um, at, at different outcome variables are terrific. Here's the problem: uh, most people and, and look, there's been a lot of talk. Our 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 focus in my lab is on cognitive function and clinical change and the impact of medical and recreational cannabis. So one of the things that happens is let's measure cognitive ability. Oh great! So you have an iPad and maybe people perform tasks at the roadside. Except for one small thing. One, you don't know how they performed before. Remember, they've just been pulled over by a police officer. Their heart is racing. They're they're They may be sweating. There's all sorts of signs and symptoms that go along with sort of an increased, you know, sort of nervous system response. When you see lights flashing and you're pulled over. I don't know anybody that says, yeah, that was great. No one says that. No one says that. So you have to be able to distinguish and to disentangle what you are seeing now as a function of a substance versus that's just this person. So, that's one of the things that's difficult here. Um, So, when you look at uh, techniques and and technologies that, for example, look at um, patterns of blood flow throughout the brain or using different types of of imaging techniques, um, I think there's there's some real interest in doing that. And it's potentially promising as one, count it, one indicator. That's the thing. So, it's a complicated series of questions. Um, Is there a role for individuals to be able to assess real-world folks in real-world situations? Absolutely. Are we there yet with regard to their ability to do this in a very valid way that is reliable over time? I don't think so. I think that that's what most people um, have, have sort of realized at this point. It's not for lack of interest or trying. And I agree so much. You know, everybody was so concerned about legalization from both medical and recreational perspectives. Increased access must mean more irresponsible behavior and more irresponsible behavior means more people behind the wheel when they shouldn't be. And that may in fact be true. We haven't seen these numbers go through the roof. As my esteemed colleague just said, we haven't seen that. doesn't mean it couldn't. Um, And we certainly should be mindful. And we want these people off the road. But you have to be able to detect appropriately and in a valid way um, and not punish those who should not be punished.
0: So I've got one final question, and I'm going to ask both of you, and I'll start with you, uh, Dr. Gruber. Given where the science stands today, given that I think we can all agree that we don't want people driving impaired on the road, what steps, if any, should the state or society be taking to keep people off the roads and to enforce the impaired driving laws should somebody choose to use marijuana?
1: So I think it's a great reminder. Um, I think we heard early on that you know it's always been illegal to drive under the influence of anything. If you're altered, no, no matter what the substance, alcohol, cannabis, opiates anything, you shouldn't be behind the wheel. Sometimes it's a question of education, and that sounds silly, but I can't tell you how many people I've come in contact with who say, I had no idea X would happen if I did this. And you know, we ask for people to renew things like driver's licenses, right? We, it's mandatory. Um, we don't necessarily ask for them to have a, any education educational component about the things that may impact their own ability every everybody is pretty convinced nah i'm good i'm good Um, if we could somehow impart a mandatory educational aspect to their sort of mainstream um you know license renewal or something else I, i know that's not the whole story that's part of it though and for people who have no idea for example that if they take an edible. Gee, I had no idea. I didn't feel anything and I thought it didn't do much. And so I got behind the wheel about an hour later and boy, I was on the pike and suddenly I wasn't so great. That's right. And that's because that person didn't know that it can take up to two hours, two hours after you take something by mouth for you to feel an effect. That's a problem. That's a problem that's solvable by allowing people to become educated about what they should and should not expect, depending on what they're using, why they're using and how they're using. That's part of it. In terms of being able to understand the ways in which these laws should be enforced, I think reminding people that using any substance and then driving or operating any heavy machine. Remember all those old school warnings? Remember those? Um, Mm -hmm. There's a reason they exist, because you are altered. Your perception may not be that you are altered, but you may be altered. So I think reminding people that there needs to be an integrity check is critical. Roadside assessments and determining where the line is drawn is something that we absolutely need more work on. And, and some very clear-cut research studies would be able to clarify the ways in which we might be able to enforce certain aspects sooner than not. As, as, I, I think that's, that's probably in the, in the future. John, what, what needs to be done? Well, I'll tell you what doesn't
2: need to be done is to convict innocent people based on shoddy and uh, uh, unreliable so-called scientific evidence and or substituting uh, the judicial power to essentially stipulate that somebody's guilty. And the other thing that I would point out is that when you talk about these drug recognition experts, sure it's a fine idea to train police and give them more training, but don't forget what has happened with policing and criminal justice. It's been applied, especially in the drug arena, in a very biased and racist manner. And this, of course, is absolutely, inevitably going to be part of any uh, situation where we're relying solely on uh, police officers to come up with opinions under the gloss of some uh, fake scientific imprimatur. I mean, if you think about what uh, Dr. Gruber just said, 35, even if they're trying to be uh, honest about the thing, 35% of the people they tag as being impaired aren't. So is that something we want to have, we can live with in terms of, people being convicted of crimes, all at the control of the police and the prosecution? I don't think so. And I don't think anybody would agree with that. So it's very good that that bill got killed. It was horrible. And we have to be very skeptical about uh, these uh, so-called solutions that are being proposed by people that are very angry that uh, the voters saw the light and legalized cannabis, which again, the enforcement of those laws was an abomination in terms of uh, their racist application. And states that are legalizing cannabis are recognizing that and trying to give priority in businesses to people in, uh, in uh, those communities that suffered the most from it. So uh, that's what I think. And uh, I think impaired driving is illegal. It always has been. Uh, prosecutions were undertaken before cannabis was legalized and are still being undertaken. But they have to be proven beyond a reasonable doubt. And I don't think anybody wants to uh, uh, give up on that standard. That's the bedrock principle of criminal justice. So we should make sure we maintain that and uh, enforce the laws in a fair, unbiased and impartial manner.
0: And you can learn more at CommonwealthMagazine.org. Dr. Stacy Gruber and Attorney John Amabile, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thank you.